0: Good morning again, folks. I want to invite you to take out your Bibles, your own copy of God's Word, as the kids are being dismissed. Maybe you can find your way to Isaiah, the fifth chapter, and what we want to do this morning together is continue a message that I started two weeks ago called Celebrate America. It was July 3rd, and we were celebrating Independence Day a day early two weeks ago, and we talked very specifically about the fact that this nation, the United States of America, was most clearly, probably more clearly than any other nation in the history of mankind except Israel, is the benefit of God's own divine hand in its establishment. It is clear to us that God planted this nation, the United States of America. He specifically created a conviction and a burden in the hearts of those that were seeking freedom from oppression, to get over here to this place and start a new nation, a new nation that would be a light on a hill, that would be built and established for the propagation of the gospel and the Christian faith as it's written in the Mayflower Compact. We saw that two weeks ago. and We celebrated America. We saw that it was this country planted by God. And so then in scripture, we saw that when God plants a nation, in other words, when it's planted by God, that it's also planted for God. When he plants it, he plants it for his own purposes. And that's where we find in Isaiah chapter 5, a reference to something that happens when a nation that's been planted by God, stay with me, decides to be a nation that is not necessarily for God. There are very specific consequences to that. Isaiah chapter 5. Now, I just want to back up a little bit to remind you. In verse 2, we saw God referring to Israel, the other nation that he planted. Chapter 5 and verse 2, he he dug it up and cleared out its stones. That's the ground that he was going to plant this nation in. And look at the end of verse 2. And planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst, and he also made a wine press in it. So, look at verse 2, the very end, he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now we skip on down to verse 5, God says, I planted this nation as as if a vineyardist planting his choicest vine. Well, what does a vineyardist plant his vine for? For the production of grapes. And he expects, if it's his choicest vine, if it's the one he invested so much care in personally, he expects then has every reason to expect that that vine would bear good fruit, the very choicest fruit that he's looking for, that pleases the vine dresser. So when it does not produce good fruit, look at verse 5. And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no more on it. God says when the nation that he plants does not bear fruit for him, that he will remove its hedge of protection and bring judgment on that vine. Let me just say, substitute Israel, substitute 2016, United States of America. We're a nation that's been divinely planted by God. But it's become clear that we have chosen our people, the people of our nation, to be a nation who do not necessarily live for the glory of God. We no longer see this country as the context and the place where God's ways are shown to the rest of the world. We've made our own gods. We've chosen our own ways. We've kicked gods out of the school and out of the government and out of the town centers and in some cases out of the church. God has lowered the hedges in America. I want you to know that America's hedges are now down. We can expect the full judgment of God just as Israel did. I remember a day when my children were in pigtails. It wasn't too long ago, by the way. All three little girls sat on the front row with Julie. And I remember preaching a similar message out of this text. So it wasn't more than 10 years ago. And I remember being so deeply burdened and convicted that if we as a nation did not turn things around, that if we did not pray, if God's people did not repent and, and shine and begin to love the world around us and show Christ to the world around us, if our nation didn't turn 180, then one day those hedges would come down. I remember preaching that with such clarity and conviction, still hoping that there would be revival and repentance, but now we find ourselves so many years later. And I'm here to tell you the hedges are down. Judgment has begun in America. Now, no need for us to fear. We're going to talk about that. We don't need to fear. As a matter of fact, our mission remains unchanged. Maybe even more urgently, we will see our mission as the church today. And we can still affect the nation and we can still bring about good. But listen, it's going to be in the midst of a nation that's being judged. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are in a place where our hedges are down. Let me give to you some research. I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks reading and looking at statistics. and I mean, these aren't always perfect, but they're certainly reliable as far as trends. Listen to some of what's going on in this nation whose hedges have fallen. From 1960 to 1990, there has been a 560% increase in violent crime. 419% increase in illegitimate births, a quadrupling of divorce rates, a tripling of the percentage of children living in single-parent homes, and a more than 200% increase in teenage suicides. There's also been a drop of almost 80 points in SAT scores, by the way, as kids are more interested in video games and violence than education. In 1962 you remember, organized prayer was taken out of the public schools. Now you can't even say that you believe in God. You can hardly even bring a Bible to most public schools. Since 1973, you'll remember Roe v. Wade, there have been, I don't even know how to say this without weeping, more than 40 million abortions. As a nation, we've sacrificed the most innocent among us on the altar of selfishness. I don't know how to describe the fallen nature of our country any clearer than that to you folks. Dr. Billy Graham stated that according to his research, over 90% of the Christians in America are living defeated spiritual lives. So the church isn't helping much today. 90% feel they're defeated. 60% of all websites on the internet are pornographic. 60% homosexuality is now called an alternative lifestyle instead of an abomination in the sight of Almighty God. The divorce rate among Christians is now, some say, higher than the divorce rate among non-Christians. Now, I would dispute that specific stat, but I will admit this. It's awfully hard to find out the truth. It's awfully hard. 12 million children live in households where they have to skip meals or eat less that means 1 in 10 households in the U.S. are living with hunger or at risk of hunger. That's in our own country. The prosperous nation that we once were. It's estimated that over 3 million teens, 3 million teenagers between the ages of 14 and 17 are problem drinkers. Do you remember that? You remember back in the 50s and 60s when between 14 and 17 there was, there was a, a, a pretty good size percent that have tried alcohol? Now over 3 million are problem drinkers addicted to alcohol, getting drunk. Nearly 14 million Americans, one in every 13 adults, abuse alcohol or are alcoholics. It contributes to 100,000 deaths annually, and it's estimated that 6.6 million children under 18 live in households with at least one alcoholic parent. Marriage has lost its sacredness completely in our nation. Listen to some of the trends that take place of a nation who is judged by God. Traditional meaning of marriage ceremony is lost. Alternate forms of definitions of marriage arise. Traditional marriage vows are replaced by marriage contracts. Feminist movements appear. Women lose interest in childbearing, mothering, and pursuing life and prosperity instead. Public disrespect for parents and authority is generally increased. Do we see that today? Watch the news, my friends. People with traditional marriages refuse to accept family responsibilities. Even the so-called covenant marriages are refusing their responsibilities. A desire for an acceptance of adultery begins to grow in the nation that is judged by God. And an increased tolerance for sexual perversions of all kinds particularly homosexuality, with a result in an increase in sex-related crimes and diseases. Marriage has certainly lost its sacredness in our nation. Fewer than one in five adults believe that absolute moral truth exists. One in five. Religious behavior is being radically reshaped. Many of the traditional Christian activities, praying, attending worship services, reading Bible, attending Christian education, volunteering at church, sharing their faith with non-believers, have dropped anywhere from 7 to 13 points in the last 10 years. The unchurched population is growing radically, rising by 11 points, now approaching half of the adult public in America, most unchurched adults consider themselves to be Christian and spiritually inclined, except one in five is actually born again and has trusted Christ as Savior. The dropout rate in church continues to climb because half of the unchurched say that the churches they attend do not add sufficient value to their life. The Bible's taking a big hit in our nation, this great nation that God planted. It's been removed from government. It's been removed from the schools. It's been removed from the town centers and squares and public gathering places. And I'm going to tell you something else. It's now being removed from homes as well. It's hard to find a family that is committed to spending regular, consistent time in the scriptures as the directing authority of their lives. It's hard to find even in the church in America today. There's a Bible perhaps on the counter or on the table, but it doesn't open until Sunday morning in some cases. Discipleship has fallen out of favor. Only 5% of Americans are addressing issues like brokenness from sin, surrender and submission to God, and a commitment to intensely love God and people. 5%. Among people who believe that Jesus was a real person, Only one out of six claims to make the greatest possible effort to follow his example. The nation's morals and values are a mess, and collectively we know that. More than seven out of ten adults agree that the nation is greatly divided when it comes to our most important values. Our moral behavior is appalling. A majority of our nation, the majority, argues that cohabitation, sexual fantasies, sex outside of marriage... Giving birth outside of marriage, divorce, doctor-assisted suicide, homosexual relations, and same-sex marriage are all morally acceptable endeavors. The majority in our nation now believe that. My friends, that's a first in the history of our nation, that the majority believes that. People have less and less hope for America. Two-thirds polled argue that the government will never change for the better. Never. Never. Voting has been on the decline. Seven out of ten adults say the obstacles to experiencing the American dream... are more extreme than ever. In fact, among millennial generation... it is the consensus... that the American dream is no longer possible for them. I'm saying that we live in a nation that not only is in decline, but has gotten to the point where God is no longer reaping good fruit. We are no longer capable of being a city set on a hill. We do not represent God's ways and character, and we do not as a nation glorify Him any longer. And so the hedges have come down. Say, Pastor, why is it so much on the, on, the, on the news that I watch, all these crazy things that are happening? Could you imagine living in the 40s, 50s, even the 60s and 70s and hearing about the weekly crisis, murdering, hate, rioting and protests, even, even those that did riot and protest in the 60s would be appalled at the rioting that took place this last two weeks, It's not for just cause, it's hate driven. It comes from this folks, those who are sinning have realized that sin does not satisfy and they're mad, they're angry and in some cases the only place for them to lash out is for those that still try to hold to the fact that there is a difference between sin and not sinning. That's what happened in Isaiah. Now turn to verse 20 of chapter 5 and look, look at the condition of this nation, Israel, and see if that's not us today. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to the men mighty in drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so the root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Is that not a description of the nation that we live in, that we call America, that once was great, that once was not described by those characteristics? Yes, it is. How do we get here? How does this happen to a nation, and what do we do about it? Well, turning your Bibles back to Deuteronomy, I want to show you something. First of all, you've got to see this, folks. I want you to see... There is, by the way, I asked for a little extra time this morning because I know that this message is going to take some time to develop. These stats and 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 reports are, are important, and they give us clarity this morning. See, I don't just view, church, that my role as pastor, preacher, and teacher. That's clearly a part of my gift and what I do, but I want you to know something, Crosspoint. God has called me also to be your shepherd. And part of being your shepherd means... Helping you as a flock, as a body, as a believer of Christ, to understand what's happening in the world around you, and and to respond biblically, to still be God's people in the midst of a vast and changing world that we live in. So that's part of shepherding. And I want you to see what's happening. We can't stick our heads in the sand any longer. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is preaching a sermon. That's Deuteronomy. It's basically a sermon to the next generation about to enter into the promised land. You could say that this is the nation to those who were going to build this divinely planted nation, round one, Israel. Chapter 4 and verse 2. He reminds them, before you go into this land and make this nation, verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, I command you. He said, when you go become a... a a, a nation that God's planted, don't change his word. Don't change his commandments. Then you look at verse 5. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should not act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Excuse me, that you should act. That just didn't make sense, did it? That's what we're doing. What he wanted them to do, surely I have taught you The statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. That's why I've taught them to you, he said, that you would be that nation. Now look at verse 7. For what great nation is there that God is so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him, and what great nation is there, that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in this law which I set before you on this day. What great nation in the history of all of mankind has ever known the advantage and the blessing, he says, of giving you exactly how to be the nation that's successful, that's prosperous, that is God's nation. We've given you all of the commandments of God. What other great nation? You realize when you study history... There is no other nation ever that has been given that sort of foundation advantage. Here, here's how you be a nation. These are the ways of God, and if you will operate as a nation based on these ways, God will protect you, God will bless you, God will prosper you as a people, and you will be a great name unto him on the earth. He said, what other nation has that? There's no other great nation in the world. Until that day, 240 years ago, two weeks. When our forefathers signed the Declaration of Independence. And stated emphatically within our documentation. And within their life-giving sacrifice. That this nation was to be a nation that is based on, built upon, founded in the commandments of God. We were planted by God and just like Israel... God expects good fruit, and when there is none, you got to read past Deuteronomy, my friends. You got to read what happened. The hedges came down. And I'm going to talk to you about that in in just a moment. So, church, prepare for persecution. Hey, what a great message. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Came for an inspiring, hope filled message, and the pastor said, prepare for persecution. Prepare for persecution. Do you realize that we're already there? Do you realize this is no longer something that's impending, that may happen? This nation was built on Judeo-Christian values and principles. And as a result of that, we've been free. We've been protected. We've been successful, victorious in all of our endeavors and wars. Those days are over. The battle, church, is not with our government. As the church, when we're persecuted by the government, we don't respond by putting up our dukes and fighting against the government. I want to tell you something, and it may sound funny, but but I'll explain in just a minute. The government does not have any of the solutions that we need as a people. we got to stop looking to the government. You understand who the government is, right? We live in a republic. The government is just simply you. It's simply the people that make up the nation, You remember, our our officials are raised in this nation. They grew up watching the same TV that you did. They grew up with the same tendencies and cultural traditions and changes that you did. And they rose to the surface of popularity and reported to be ones who would continue to bring what the nation was looking for. Don't blame elected officials. We put them there. And guess what? Even if you didn't put them there, the nation wants them to be there. The nation has said, give us governing officials that will allow us to choose our own way, not God's ways, and prevent any of the drastic circumstances that come our way. Well, that's an impossible situation to put any government official in. And so they're just simply doing what made them popular, what made them successful. They're representing the people of America. Our battle is not with government. Our battle is in the trenches with the sinners, with those who are unsaved for their salvation. Our battle is not one of hate. Our battle is one of love and compassion. Our battle is one of gentleness and meekness and kindness. Our battle is to get into the trenches where popular opinion is being formed, beginning with kids who are coming to VBS next week and youth who went to camp over the last several weeks. That's where our battle is. Where are the people in our community being lied to where are they being deceived where are they finding their own sin does not help them and where are the people of God to show them any different that's where the battle exists church but nonetheless here's what's happening systematically to our country to our nation because the persecution has started there's a movement to force compliance and change It's a movement that does not come from God and the change is away from God and the compliance is unto the things that God detests. Through intimidation and persecution, our own government now has decided that they will change the makeup of those who would oppose sin in our nation. It's a secular movement. It's humanist. It's evil. Make no mistake, but what they're doing now is, now it's not just okay that you put up with our sin in our nation. The pressure now has turned to, you know what, we don't even like you pointing it out. That our sin isn't what you like and what God likes. Not only, not only Christians in America, see how we went from being the majority, from founding this country, to being the object of the, of the, of the scorn of the system that the people have put into place to say, you know what, we want what we want. And not only do you, can you not say anything or, 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 or oppose them now, but now, now they're not satisfied. The, the world system, this movement, is not satisfied until you agree with them. And as a matter of fact, now they've gone one step further. I think it's the final step. They're not just satisfied that you agree with them. They're not satisfied until we participate with them. That is a nation whose hedges have come down. We're being attacked. I expect that through the remainder of my ministry, hopefully it's a long and fruitful one, and it's right here, so you may see it. But I expect before my retirement to be put into jail. Now, folks, I'm not just saying that for dramatic effect. I'm preparing for that. I'm preparing to be put, to be put in jail because I refuse to marry a homosexual family because I refuse to stop preaching from this pulpit what God's word says about sin. And it's not just the homosexual movement. There are many other areas. It's all coming into the place where sin is attacking the foundations of God's ways. Family being one of the core foundations has been slaughtered in America, And we as a church, listen, we as a church must go back to the biblical mandates and the principles that establish family as the cornerstone of a city on a hill. And when we do that, they will call us intolerant. And they will call us hateful. And they will call us narrow-minded. And we will be persecuted. I want you to know... June 26th, 2015. That was just a little over a year ago, wasn't it? The United States Supreme Court made an unprecedented ruling legalizing homosexual marriage in our nation. Not only, now that's common knowledge, not only did they do that, but they also, listen carefully, they also made it illegal for any state to outlaw homelessness. They even took away the state's rights to make sure that it didn't get changed. Now, remember what I said? This movement, this ungodly movement, since the hedges are down, are coming after those who stand for what is right. Persecution is coming. Do you remember me saying that? Listen to what Justice Kennedy wrote. Listen to what he wrote. After this ruling. He said, for anybody to disagree with the judgment, meaning legalizing gay marriage, is moral animus. Did you hear what the Supreme Court said? They said, not only are they going to make what is sin legal and protected. But they're going to say that anybody in the nation that disagrees with it. It's moral animus. It means morally you don't even have the right to believe that. That's what the government is saying to its citizens now. If you oppose us protecting, legalizing, and enforcing sin, then you are morally incorrect and you don't have the right to believe that. That's where it's going. That's where it's coming. You think we're not going to be persecuted? these last couple weeks, my inbox has been flooded with emails, most of them from presidents of Christian universities in California. Not sure you're well aware. SB 1146, a proposition for law, has already passed California State Senate and is now awaiting the General Assembly for final approval. This law by the way, states that Christian colleges can no longer dictate any moral parameters upon accepting and admissions for those that are applying. Traditionally, Christian universities have said in certain lifestyles of sin you do not qualify for membership because we take a stand against those things. Now, If this passes, a Christian university will lose their federal funding if they get any and will not be acknowledged by the state as an educational institution. Well, you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, listen, all of the presidents that have been writing me and begging me to come to you and tell you about this for the last month want you to know this. There aren't any of those colleges that will survive if this bill passes, We will no longer be able to say anything about those who are admitted. And once they're admitted, there will no longer be a regiment that, that portrays required Bible classes and righteousness to remain a part of that institution. It's being taken away. Well, you think about it. Where does the persecution come? Where people learn. Where people are educated in this nation. And they're attacking it. By the way, I want to point this out. Did you know... Um, July 26th, let me back up to the Supreme Court ruling. June 26th, a year ago. D- did you know that that also, the day that that happened, well, something else happened. The Vatican made a covenant with Palestine. Th- that was unusual. But also, there's something else that happened. You see, that day in the Jewish calendar is the 9th of, of Amuz. And, and the 9th of Amuz is, is a day of ancient mourning. Do you know what happened exactly on that day in 423 B.C.? Nebuchadnezzar led an army and stormed Jerusalem and the walls fell down. And as a result, Israel was then taken into Babylonian captivity. That was the day, to the day, interestingly enough, that the walls literally Came down for the other nation that God divinely planted that did not produce godly fruit. You remember Deuteronomy? Moses warned them. He said, Listen, you've got to keep these ways. I'm giving you these ways. What other nation has this benefit? And we know that the people turned from the ways of God. They placed self seeking on the altar and made it worshiped. And what happened? The walls fell. And and to this day, Jews mourn that day above all else as the falling of that great nation, that people. Well, what do we do? I mean, this isn't just for us to get, oh my goodness, my mercy alive, our nations going to, you know what, in a handbasket. I mean, let's just give up. What country can we move to? Where can we go? How can I hide from this thing? What do we do as the church? Is it really at the point? Now listen, I want you to know this, okay? It's never too late and there's always hope. Amen? It is never too late and there's always hope. But, but let's be real. I don't want to just, oh, there's always hope and, and fluff you up with these ideals of fiction. There is always hope, but our hope is never to be put into the government, the country, or any man-made institution on the planet. Our hope can only be founded in Jesus Christ, and that's where the hope is. As long as we keep our hope in Jesus Christ, whatever he does is his will. If it's judgment, bring judgment. If it's repentance, bring repentance. If it's revival, bring revival. But that's where the hope has to be, you understand? understand God does judge nations that discard him especially the one he planted so what do we do well last week 2 weeks ago we talked about celebrating our independence what i want to talk about today is practicing our dependence because as nations we do celebrate our independence we're independent from tyranny we're independent from any one telling us what is right and what is wrong from the cr- crown right? We're independent of persecution as Christians. Hey, that's what they were declaring their independence for. But we also proclaim our dependence upon God. They go hand in hand. You cannot celebrate, proclaim independence from anything until you first submit under dependence to God Almighty. That's what we're looking at. So what does it mean to practice our dependence? I want to give you three things because I believe that the role of the church is clearer than ever today. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You understand this? It doesn't really matter if things turn around for the nation or they don't. God is in control. You, you see, I don't really know what God wants to do. And for my role, what I'm supposed to be doing right now as a Christian, it doesn't matter if revival's coming or if judgment's coming. My role remains unchanged. I still find my hope in the same place. I still find my refuge in the same place. And I still find my purpose in the same place to glorify God. But listen, I want to tell you a little secret. Now, I'm going to say this because I trust you guys, okay? trust you, church. You love me. I'm looking for whoever's going to shake their head. No. <laughs> do, you, do you love me? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That's reassuring. Whoever started that, God bless you. Thank you. Okay, listen, I, now I feel safe, okay, to, to say, and you can disagree with me if you want to, that's okay. You can be wrong, that's fine. <laughs> Just kidding. Listen, here's what I believe when you study the scriptures, because I don't know of any other source to go to that's more reliable. When you study the scriptures, it's actually beneficial for the church that persecution would come to our nation. That judgment would come. Did you know that? It's better for the church. You see, part of what's caused this great coming down on the walls is the church has grown apathetic. The church in America today has an appetite for the things of man and then every once in a while is reminded that, oh yeah, we're supposed to have an appetite for the things of God. The church in America today is saturated with compromise and lukewarmness. There's no distinct light anymore within most churches in America. They're just gray. They're, they're barely flickering. But judgment and persecution, listen, we could do for a little discomfort, church. We could do for some of our motorhomes being taken away. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it might not be such a bad deal for me to have to wonder where my, how my bills are going to get paid and what's going to happen financially. You don't put your hope in economics. Something has to cause the church in America today to run back to its roots, to return to the foundation, and to repent of their own sin before God. Something has to cause that in America. We're not going there on our own, folks. We're going the wrong way. A little judgment, a little persecution just might help. Well, I think that's better for the church. I think we could use some lean times in America. I think we could remember that, you know what? Peace and joy doesn't come from how many toys I have and how much money I have in my bank account. It comes from me abiding in Jesus Christ and obeying his word every single day and pursuing with him, him with all of my heart and life and to be consumed, to be driven relentlessly to reach those who are unchurched around me because they are also hurting and have no answer. That's what it means. And that role doesn't change No matter what happens in the nation today. So what do we do? How do we treat these people who are becoming so hateful? Who misunderstand us? Hopefully. Let me give you three simple things. These are are just timeless truths and principles. A church that depends on God. That makes a difference. And I'm using my faith, freedom, and future title to outline these three points. Number one, faith. Faith. Do not fear. Exercise and practice your faith, church. You see, th- there are things that are going to happen in our nation, and we are going to be persecuted. We are already being persecuted. There are already uh, uh, excuse me, court cases in the run, in the mix, already making their way up the chain to the Supreme Court that are pastors being sued, churches being sued for not agreeing with, and participating in sin. Okay? Those pastors, some of them are out of jail now, fighting this battle. But it, they're telling other pastors, get ready. Because it's coming. Okay? But hey, listen. We live with faith. We, we don't live with fear. We don't allow those things to, to dissuade us or determine our hope and our disposition. We don't walk around, oh, the you know, nation stinks and it's going awful and all I want to do now you know if Christians would just stop complaining about who's going into the office I'm so tired of it okay <laughs> there's no good choice I'm sorry one uh, I wasn't going to get political today I said just don't do it bud one herself represents Satan The other one is masquerading as a believer. Hey, come on. I'm sorry. He can't even say the name of the biblical book correctly. He's never been in it. He's never read it. Well, he's, he's better than the other option because he'll bring good economic choices. I told you before, I'm going to tell you this again. Your hope is not in economics, my friend. You vote based on how God leads you. I don't know who God has, but whoever it is will be God's choice And fall under the sovereignty of God. And what happens will happen by God's will and God's choice. And listen, all that's gonna happen, but we don't have to put our faith in that. We still remain steadfastly determined that my nation's not gonna bring me happiness. There's no legislation that's gonna come that's gonna make things better. Peace and prosperity isn't my goal. Live by faith. That's my goal. Well, what does it mean to live by faith? Doesn't it mean to trust in God's ways even when all the external ways seem like they're not going to work? Doesn't living by faith mean seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then these things will be added unto you. Isn't that what it means? Doesn't living by faith mean it's more blessed to give than receive? Hey, doesn't it? Even when the stock market crashes? Listen, even when they take away our 501c3 nonprofit status and your ties and offerings are no longer tax deductible that's what it means to live by faith it means to trust in god's ways even though man's ways are opposed even though you take great risk to do so how many are living by faith today in the church how many are putting first the things of the Lord and the kingdom of righteousness. How many are living their lives laying aside treasures in heaven rather than laying treasures on earth? That requires great faith, I'm here to tell you. Every single treasure in heaven means giving up something here on earth. That's what Jesus meant when he taught that, by the way. Go back and read it. Are we living for the world or are we living for the kingdom that we belong to for eternity? Are we serving the God of comfort and money and success? Or do we serve the God who is our Father in heaven? Who is righteous and holy and wants for us to live the very same way even in a world that doesn't like it. So what are we to do? Live by faith. i reminded of Daniel. You remember Daniel? He was part of a nation whose walls came down. Yeah, that's right. As a matter of fact, he was part of the nation. Oh, it's the very same nation that the Babylonians took captive. And eventually, the Babylonians lost to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians took over, and they were still captive. Remember, Darius the Great was king now. And you remember Daniel up in his room. So he was part of a nation that the hedges had come down the nation was being judged by God. And if you go back and read some time in Daniel chapter 9, his prayer to God, he confesses that. He makes it very clear. God, we are exactly where we are because we deserve it. But he didn't lose his faith. He was a great citizen. He was a model citizen. He did everything he could to testify to the Lord's goodness. As long as it didn't cause him to sin, he still stood for righteousness. But I want you to know something. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed that he would be faithful. We have to live by faith. 1 John chapter 2. If you want to turn there very quickly. 1 John chapter 2. Look there in verse 14, for John's saying, he, he's reminding them of why he's writing to them. And verse 14 says, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Listen to what scripture tells you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Hey, hey. Newsflash, church. We win. We win. Yeah, doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what they say, what they do to us. We have already overcome the wicked one. In Christ, we win. God's ways will win out. God will have his way, he will rule. The question is are we living by faith? Number two, freedom. You know what we have the freedom to do, church? We have the freedom. Listen, this may surprise you. It's, it's a funny thing. All this is about rights, protecting people's rights. Do you, do you know, even in our founding documents, it says that the rights that we have were endowed by our, watch this word, creator. Now, Today, someone might argue that creator means the, you know, from a monkey to a man, from slime to society, but back in that day when they said creator, they only meant one thing, God Almighty. That's where rights come from. They're given by him and they're also given for him, our rights. So don't tell me we have the right to protect sin. We don't. But listen, what do you do when they sin? People of the world, what do we do? How do we respond to them? Listen, this is where the church has failed so miserably. We've we've made it so much harder on ourselves. Here's what you do. First of all, we don't judge them. say, what? We don't judge them? Yeah, we don't judge them. You remember Jesus said, I did not come to condemn this world, but to give them hope to give them everlasting life. We, listen, you don't have the right to judge anyone. No one. Lost, saved, pastor, church member, it doesn't matter. You're not given that right. You're not given that place. That place is exclusively for a seat called the judgment seat of God. And don't you ever try to sit in that seat. You don't know what somebody's gone through. You don't know what they're doing. You don't have the right to condemn them or judge them say, well, how, how on earth do we deal with sin then? Well, just because we don't judge them doesn't mean that we stop calling sin what it is. It doesn't mean we stop telling the truth. But listen, we've got to come to the place, church, where when we disagree with people in our community who are sinning, and, and let's just take, let's just take the, you know one of the examples. If you know somebody who is homosexual or struggling with that or, or found a life, listen, the, the, the worst thing we can do as a church is to judge them and push them away i 'm telling you what Jesus did every time Jesus found a sinner, by the way, the same true with you and me and everybody in this room, every time he found them, he never was afraid of calling it sin, but he always did that in the context of drawing them closer to himself, wrapping his arms around them, loving them, caring for them building relationship, investing, giving for their benefit. That's how you call sin what it is without judging somebody. You love them. You embrace them. You bring them closer. You draw them in. You don't run away. You don't put up the walls. You don't say, no room here. We don't, have, we don't like your kind. That stuff comes from the devil, masquerading as God, calling evil what is good and good what is evil, by the way. The church. Um... I like to use the example of the pig in the mud. A sinner is like a pig in in the mud. Right? We we look down from our holy view up here on the stage. And we see somebody in their sin and how miserable they are and the stupid choices they're making. It's just like a pig in the mud. They don't know any better than to wallow in the mud. Hey, listen. Listen. That's what pigs do. By the way, that's what sinners do. They don't know. They're confused. They lash out. They hurt. They're angry. They're empty. And you stand here with the only solution that would bring hope for them. And do we stand condemning them for being dirty in the mud? Do we keep ourselves at a clean distance? Hey, it's dirty down there. Cut that out. It's sin, you nasty pig. Don't you know any better? I know better. I'm part of the church. We don't do that. We don't judge them. But let me tell you what else we don't do. We also don't get down and wallow in the mud with them. We don't embrace the sin. We don't give in. We don't say, oh, you know what? Well, what the heck? We'll just call it all good and everybody's good and we don't want to be narrow-minded and tell anybody that they're different than we are. And by the way, by the way, why don't we just start, you know, I mean, just it's not that big a deal. Let's just do that in our church too. Let's just, you know what? In my life, a little sin's Okay. A little mud feels good once in a while. Cleans out the pores, and we get wallowing in the. Before you know it, we're so stuck in the mud, the world around us can't tell the difference between the Christian and the sinner. We don't get down and compromise. We don't condone. But let me tell you where the answer does lie for the church, because here's here's where most of us fail. We see the pig in the mud, and we're clean. Well, by the way, the only reason you're clean is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He reached down and pulled you out of that mug slop and cleaned you off and made you look like one of his own. That's the reason, remember? And he, he, by the way, God wants to do that for the pig in the mud, too. And he says, hey, you, now that you're my family, go do it. Go help. Go help. Now listen, here's the point. You can't stay drawing walls... And removing yourself from having any closeness with sinners. You can't wallow in the mud. What you do is you walk down off your ivory tower. And you get into the trenches of everyday life. You build relationships with those people. You reach out to them. And listen, you got to pick them up in the mud. And you got to preach the gospel to them. And you got to show them the way back out. Here's the way that God showed me. Let me help you come out, pig. And listen, I'm just going to tell you this. There's no way to do that without getting dirty. That's what we don't want. We don't want to get dirty. Why? I don't know why. Your reasons are your own. But I'm saying that the response of the child of God when the nation begins to crumble and sin becomes rampant and sinners are everywhere is that we first of all don't judge them. We love them. And we love them with the very same love that Christ gave us, a greater love. You remember John chapter 8 and verse 7 you don't have to look there now but you remember Jesus came to the woman who was caught in adultery and sin remember and they were getting ready to stone her and he walked up and drew something in the sand and they all left said so, you know he was without sin cast the first stone and he, showed them, he showed them you don't have any right to condemn this woman you're all sinners too and they all walked away And he looked at this harlot, prostitute. Use your name. That name that we all reserve for they're so filthy and they're so, I don't want to be around them and they're hideous. That word? Jesus looked her right in the eye and said, I don't condemn you. And then he said, now go and sin no more. You want it to help people out of their sin? It doesn't come from condemning them. It comes from caring for them. If we're going to have any chance, it has to come from caring. That's called, by the way, that's called freedom. You have the freedom to treat people however God tells you even if this world falls all apart around you. That's your freedom. That's your freedom. Not a freedom to go do what I want and have my own life and build my own little empire and push everybody else away. Listen, as a Christian, you don't have that freedom. What you do have the freedom to do is keep loving them even when the world says, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. You can't do that. To keep loving them even when your own nature resists. You have the freedom to show them hope, God's love. And finally, the future. Faith, freedom, and future. The future. Hey, guess what? Our nation's greatest decline just might be the church's greatest opportunity. Hello! Our nation's greatest decline these days and the days that follow May just be the church's greatest opportunity. This might be our shot. This might be our chance. You see, something is happening. You see this rising up of the populace, right? And you turn on the news, you see it. People are getting vocal, people are getting animated, people are getting violent. It's becoming almost a little bit chaotic in the streets of America today. And things are going to begin to fall apart. Who knows? Will there be revival out of that? I don't know. Maybe there will. That's God's business. Or will it hit rock bottom and Jesus returns and we all get raptured? I don't know. That's God's business. Either way, I'm supposed to be doing the same thing. I am to be the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that does not depend on the political success or economic environment around it at all. The church that is prepared when people are so distasteful of their own sin that we have in such a gracious, loving light the answer, the hope. we got to be there for the people in America. You see, one day soon, those people are all going to wake up and they're going to discover, yes, I was given a right, but it did not change my heart. I was given a right, and in my ways one, but I'm still unhappy, unsatisfied. Lives are shattered, discouraged, despair, brokenness. That's what's going to happen, folks. That's what happens when the hedges of God come down. The people run wild in their sin and they find out how dissatisfied they really are. People in America at some point will come to the end of themselves and there are going to be shattered, broken lives everywhere. Who are they going to turn to then? Barack Obama? Hillary Clinton? They're not even going to turn to what's-his-name with the funny hair, who makes so much money. No. They're not going to turn to anybody except the church. And that will be the time. These are the days where the church will be the only entity, the only people on the planet that have the right answer to bring hope and restoration, to bring healing, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation, to bring forgiveness. Listen to me, church. When the nation falls apart, we're going, to be have to, we're going to have to be the primary agents of God to bring forgiveness to this world. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to forgive? Are you ready to start forgiving sinners around you today? Are you ready to start? You don't have to wallow with them. You don't have to call it sin, but get in there and get dirty with them. You're going to have to intersect with the lives of the people in America today, and we are going to have to be the church that shines like a city on a great hill right in the midst of this nation because the nation failed. but The church must not fail, and that's us. Participate fully. Be as active as the Lord leads you in our government. We're supposed to be. We still can. Vote biblically. Just vote whatever God lays on your heart. You don't have to explain it to anybody. God's in charge. He knows. But listen. Pray unceasingly. Unceasingly. I think many of us can do some evaluation in our own lives about our own prayer lives. Are you praying only when it gets tough? Only when you're in crisis? Are you praying at all? What about a church? I think as a church we have a lot to learn and much to grow in the area of prayer together corporately. And I want to remind you of this guy Daniel. I want to remind you when he prayed for the nation that God planted He prayed an entire chapter of repentance. Daniel chapter nine. Read it sometime. Daniel. You'll say, well, I don't have to pray for repentance. The, the problems aren't mine. I didn't get us into this mess. So and so did. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Church, we failed. There, listen, there is as much sin within the church as there is outside of the church did you know that it may not look the same it may not be walking into schools and shooting innocent children it may not be a homosexual marriage seeking to look like it's not sin it might be gossip it might be self-seeking it might be lukewarmness It might be living according to the ways of the world instead of, hey, listen, that's sin. And sin is sin. God wants to look at his church and listen, we've sinned. Admit it. We've sinned. And the only hope we have to be the church that is there to pick up the broken pieces in a fallen world around us and a country around us, the only hope we have is to begin with repentance right here, right here. That's what Daniel does. Dr. Ryrie says that in Daniel chapter 9, there are 33 references that Daniel makes of repenting of his own sin. How about you? Cross Point Community Church, are we ready? Listen, I know, don't look at the clock anymore. I know it's time to go. If God had a message for you, would you run out right now? Would you say, no, God, I don't want to hear it. i got to go eat lunch. Well, I'm telling you, I've been praying for two weeks and God has a message for you, church. Start repenting and then start loving the world around you, the people in this community. Start repenting. Start loving. The repentance begins right here with me. How could I possibly be The church, the person that offers hope and picks up shattered lives and helps restore that which is broken for the glory of God. How could I possibly be that if I don't look any different? If I'm not cleansed, forgiven, and renewed, and committed. The church in America today has to shine so bright Not just a little bit, church. We've got to take radical steps, drastic steps. We've got to redo everything. We've got to do things the church has never been asked to do before because we live in the days of hedges coming down. And God's judgment is happening all around us. And these people are going to get mad. And they're going to be hurting. And more lives are going to be broken. Are we going to be that church? Are we going to be that church that puts other things aside and says, you know what, having that nice whatever and retirement and comfortable lifestyle now all of a sudden doesn't make so much sense as investing and pouring into the lives that those who are falling and being crushed by the weight of sin and unrighteousness all around me. What do I do? I can't just say, yes, pastor, it's good. I can't just give a couple dollars. I've got to beat my feet and get out there in the community. We have to start building bridges. We have to start doing things. We have to start sharing with our mouth, with our love, with our life as a church, as a congregation, as a people of God. That's what he called us to do, church. If you want to do that this morning, if you want to do that. See, I'm already going to do that, okay? So it's not going to be very fun to be part of a church that's pastor wants to do that when you don't. I'm just telling you that right now. So if you don't want to do that, you have to do what you have to do. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm leading. There are changes coming. But I want to ask you right now, if you want to do that, if you want our church to be that, then this morning, this very moment right now, you must begin by repenting. Let's repent together. Would you pray with me? Repent together. Father God, holy and righteous God, forgive us of our sins there's anyone in this room and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're guilty of every single sin and there's no hope for you. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for your sins. They can be taken away. You can be given hope, eternal life, forgiveness, newness. Become a child of God. It all happens with one decision, a prayer. Would you make that decision right now? Would you pray with me? Pray like this. Father, I come to you and I know that I sinned. And I repent of my sin. The best I know, I turn away from it and I claim you, Lord Jesus Christ, your death as the atonement, the payment for my sin through your blood. I trust you. Your death was for me and I thank you. Confess you as Lord and Savior. And God, all of us together come. There there is sin in each and every one of our lives right now. Lord, we know that. Whether it be personal issues of immorality, whether it be a generational issue of apathy, I've been self seeking. You come. Come right now. God's already beginning to move and bringing repentance in the hearts of our people. Praise Him. Would you come to the altar? If you want to be part of that church, come to the altar and repent and pray for our church and pray for our nation. Just a, a time of doing alone with God, whatever it is that He wants to do in your heart. Would you come, church? Is there anybody that will join me at the altar and say, Lord, I repent? I've been part of the problem. I haven't loved well. I've judged. I've tried to maintain my separation to be too comfortable and called it holiness. Lord, I've put my career way too high on the priority list. Money has become too important to me. My time has been something that I've protected for me, for my use. I repent. I've given up on the nation. Lord, let it start with me being cleansed and forgiven, being restored into fellowship. Let it begin with me being a part of this church and this community that is that shines. Glorious light of obedience, faithfulness, to live by faith, to love those around me, and to become part of the church that offers hope and life. Lord, use our church, Cross Point Community Church, right here, right now, Lord. Anoint us, bless us, call us. Prepare us to be the church. We don't ever stop glowing as that city on the hill. It's brighter and brighter and brighter each day. Let it begin with us. Thank you, even now, Lord, as we're praying in repentance and joy and the peace that we know now oh Lord help us to not just take this peace and grab it for ourselves that we would just wallow in this good feeling of being right with you but we would take this peace and launch to be sent to go therefore to give our lives abiding in your peace and your way God for hearing our confession our repentance thank you for forgiveness restoring each one of us thank you for promising if we abide in you and you in us that we will bear much fruit and that's our commitment this morning as your church in Jesus name Thank you so much, church. Thank you for your patience and going a little bit longer today. Um, Listen, these days are critical. And I'm going to just say, young parents, young parents, you still have kids at home, please hear me. I'm, I'm pleading with you, please. Your children's lives will be so different than we ever knew. Children growing up in the midst of God's judging a nation, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Spend all your investment and your time preparing your children for those days. They've got to be godly. They have to be little boys and girls of prayer and knowing the word of God. All the jet skis and sports clubs and whatever experiences that we think we want to give our kids, all those will mean absolutely nothing when the world falls apart around them. You understand that? What heritage do they have from you? What did you give them to take into that world to prepare them for this? Because listen, You may not like it, you may not agree, but it's coming. Persecution's coming. Well, take out that card if you would. I just could preach some more. You want me to preach some more? Gosh. I think I just need to be content. Thank you, Jesus. Put on the back of this card your response to the Lord. How did he speak to you? What is your commitment? What is your response to live by faith? Did you pray that prayer with me to receive Jesus as your Savior? Do you want to be baptized? You can put all that back on the card Maybe you want to join the church. Put that in the offering plate as the ushers are going to come forward now. They're going to take up the offering. And let me just challenge you. Listen, I'm not after your money. You guys know that, right? Right? I hope you do. You said you'd love me. I'm not after your money. I don't, I don't really care about money. I really don't. I really don't. I care desperately about your hearts. And listen, give an offering this morning that is given by a heart of faith. Above all else, what does that mean for you? What is God telling you to give? Give sacrificially, give generously. God's going to build this place and he's going to do a great work and the whole rest of the world's going to fall apart and we're going to be standing offering hope. What do you want to invest into that? Put that in your offering plate along with your card and we'll use that as a time to finish up and close our worship. John, would you lead us in prayer? Father, thank you so much for a morning of praise and worship and as pray. And thank you for that time. Um, Lord, may we stand firm on truth and live for you. And as we give, may it be from our hearts. And Lord, I pray for those that are protecting our country and, and protecting us. I pray for safety over them. Lord, again, may we give out of our lives and as worship. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.